0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Economic Central. This is Mrs B and this week this is a special podcast for the year 10 extension classes to prepare for our assessment taking place Friday next week. So without further ado let's get started. So we are doing an essay again like we did at the end of last term with a similar type of question but this time we're looking at the Treaty of Versailles and how it's Uh, contributed to the outbreak of World War II in 1939. So our question is, evaluate the extent to which the Treaty of Versailles led to the outbreak of World War II. Now, the two really important uh, words in this question are evaluate and extent. So evaluate is asking us to weigh up. So how much weigh up, whether or not the Treaty of Versailles was important or whether it wasn't. Okay, And the extent is the scope to which the Treaty of Versailles contributed to World War II. Now, in order to do this, the first thing we need to actually consider is, well, what were the factors that actually led to World War II? What were the things that were going on around the world that actually cumulatively came together to actually end up with the trigger point where Germany invades Poland and war is declared in September 1939? Now, there's lots of different views. Different people have different ideas of what the main causes are. And I'm going to run through very briefly what I consider to be the important developments around the world that came together to actually uh, result in, in Germany invading Poland and then the war kicking off. Now, your job is to decide which factors you think contributed to this war and did they all contribute equally? Answer probably is no, they didn't, and some were more important than others. Now, your job is to decide which of these factors you believe is the most important. Was it the Treaty of Versailles or do you think that that really only was just part of the issue and that just perhaps enhanced some of the problems that already existed after World War One, which of course was supposed to be, according to Woodrow Wilson, the war to end all wars. But of course, there we were 20 years later, back in a in a big world war, far worse in terms of casualties and deaths than World War One. So let's have a little look. These are the sorts of things that I think we need to consider. So the first, I'll I'll give you the list of the things I think we should consider as factors. And I'll give you a brief overview of what those things are. And then what I want you all to do is to go away, have a look at your own research, and then decide which of those factors you think contributed and weigh up the Treaty of Versailles role within it, which I'm going to look at last in my list of factors. So, the factors I've got are economic downturns. We know in 1929, the Wall Street crash in America leads to the Great Depression, which uh, decimates the economies of the world. So, that's my factor one. Factor two I've got is the rise of extremism, which we've got far right and far left. My factor three is political instability, which comes about in many respects due to the economic downturns. My factor four is the failure of appeasement, and you can link in with that, the failure of the League of Nations, which of course was set up to keep world peace. My factor number five is militarism, both in Germany and Japan. And my last factor, as I mentioned, is German revenge after the Treaty of Versailles and then wanting to get their own back on the Allies after the treaty that was imposed upon them. The trigger point, as I've mentioned, is the German invasion of Poland. But in this essay, we're not really looking at that. That's just a trigger point. We're looking at well, how do we get to the point where that trigger existed? So let's look first of all, then, at economic downturns. Well, the Wall Street crash, as we know, led to poverty and desperation all around the world. We had you know mass unemployment at levels that we will never see in our lifetimes. Of, you know, 25, 30 percent of people were unemployed. This uh, meant that people didn't have, uh, they couldn't afford to buy food or keep a roof over their head, because at this point, government intervention in the economy, although it does come in uh, America with the New Deal and Roosevelt, but largely you don't see government intervention. So people who haven't got jobs end up pretty in pretty di- dire times. And we know in Australia, for example, we ended up with camps of people living in tents who could no longer afford to, li- to pay for homes. So... Uh Germany's particularly hard hit by these economic downturns they've lost land which, as an economist, we know is a resource. They'd lost lots of people, which again is a resource, and they were finding it hard to to pay the reparations—those huge, a huge sum of money that they'd been required as part of the treaty to pay back. So they actually, what they did was they printed money to try and sort of help pay that and create a bit of uh, prosperity in the economy. But the problem was it led to hyperinflation, and the the, the sort of humiliation and uh, poverty. Of the German people, who are very proud people, led to resentment and a desire to seek revenge and to, to look to somebody, aka Hitler, who could come along and uh, promise better things. So we can link a lot of the things that occurred down to this economic depression, which hit the world after the Wall Street crash. But but the problem for Germany was that, of course, they already, they already had problems in the economy as a result of the Treaty of Versailles, and this then was another problem that compounded the issues. And, and really, for Germany, the economic situation was absolutely and utterly dire. So all, all the economies around the world, uh, my class, we've studied different different countries, and we found out what was going on in those different countries, but they all of them had people sinking into poverty, which led to leaders in those countries coming along and promising to do something about it and to make things better. And people were desperate, and many of them were taken in by these, these extreme leaders and said, yep, come on, have a go. Which leads me on to my factor two, which is the rise of extremism. So this is linked, in my view, to the economic downturns. So we've got extremist views on the rise all around the world. And we know history tells us that when we have extreme views, people become very polarized and there isn't any then common ground to come to to find solutions when different countries or different groups of people fall out. So we've got the extreme left. Uh, rising up in Russia. They've had a revolution in 1917, and they've overthrown and actually executed their royal family. And they've got a communist party in power with Stalin at the helm, who goes about starting to uh, industrialize the country, which leads to a number of different problems. But it's very extreme, extreme left views with a totally planned economy with the government owning everything. Then we've got the opposite. We've got the extreme right and that being fascism, so supremacy becomes very fashionable, and it's very fashionable within this view to persecute minor minority groups. Italy adopted fascism with by overthrowing their king when Benito Mussolini came along, and uh, we know, obviously know what happened in Germany. Hitler uh, eventually rose to power and combined the two positions of chancellor and president to one, becoming the Führer in 1934. Japan also. Uh, start to have fairly extreme views. They didn't get a lot from uh, the Treaty of Versailles, despite being on the winning side. And they, they, at this point, they start to adopt some very expansionist views. They start to want to expand into China and various parts in their region uh, and uh, really start to assert themselves, which, which doesn't really help either. So uh, that Nazi ideology, the far right, starts to grow in popularity in Germany. And uh, there's a mistrust of Jews starts to emerge and Hitler is very keen to blame all the issues of Germany on the Jews because he says they're still prosperous while the rest of the German population is um, really suffering. So they're the extremist views that we've got in different countries okay so we've also then got this failure of appeasement now appeasement was the policy that was being adopted by many countries around the world and it was a general view that war, that war should be avoided at all costs remember the people who were leaders at the time in the in the 1930s they've seen these awful awful results of world war 1 which uh, you know people were, were both physically and mentally Uh, very, very badly wounded. And obviously, many people died. But it really did have devastating impacts. And people were very keen to avoid it happening again. So foreign policy of our big nations was very much on uh, the idea of pacifying an aggrieved nation and to negotiate to prevent war. So For example, when Adolf Hitler prepared to annex the ethnically German portions of Czechoslovakia, which he viewed to be part of Germany, Chamberlain, uh, who was the prime minister of the UK at the time, a very very staunch supporter of appeasement, he negotiated this notorious Munich agreement, which basically gave um, uh, Hitler the permissions to go into Czechoslovakia, but not to go any further than the parts that, that were deemed to be German, in inverted commas. However, So Germany were agreeing with this appeasement on the surface, but behind the scenes they were regaining their arms, getting themselves sorted, and basically getting ready to regain the territory that the Allies had taken off them in the treaty. So uh, appeasement didn't work. Um, They were too trusting. They uh, thought Hitler was doing what he said he would do, when in fact, as I say, he was doing something quite differently. That leads me on to my next uh, factor, which is militarism. Now, Germany's militarism was that he, Hitler was basically secretly building the army back up. Now, you'll remember in the Treaty of Versailles that they had to reduce their 3 million people in their army down to 100,000. Well, he immediately started to sort this back out, and he got the troops back together. And in 1936, he ordered the troops to enter the German-speaking areas of the Rhineland and Austria and Czechoslovakia. Now, at that point, none of the big powers, France or Britain, were prepared to go to war. So in 1936, as part of this, trying to build up his military strength, he also then made alliances with Italy, Japan, and brought together those powers and he then called that the Axis power. So he, he built up through these alliances more military power, more army, more weapons that he would then use in his plan to make Germany great again. Then over in, in uh, Japan, what they were doing in terms of their militarism, 1931, they're hurt, hurt badly by the economic depression like everybody else, and the Japanese people lost faith in their government. So they turned to the army to find solutions to their economic problems. So in order to make more goods... They needed more natural resources, so they invaded China, an area rich with mineral resources, and took what they needed. They basically ignored the, tra- the uh, League of Nations and carried on occupying China and occupying Korea. And they then uh, invaded the other areas of Vietnam, and the US at this point start to get quite concerned. So uh, eventually Japan actually attacked um. The U.S. and that's the Pearl Harbor attack, and that's what brings the the uh, brings uh, Russia into sorry uh, Russia uh, brings America into the war. So militarism and building up that military strength was definitely a factor in in World War Two and powers coming together against each other, which then leads us on to the final a factor, which is, is where the essence of the essay is in terms of weighing up its role, which is the German revenge after the Treaty of Versailles. Now, I think here, if you're going to be very clever about your essay, you can think back to the first Treaty of Versailles that Mr. Roosevelt told us about, which was when the Franco-Prussian War took place in 1871, and the Germans had a Treaty of Versailles with the French and really humiliated the French absolutely not humiliated. They they occupied France until France had paid back the reparations. You know, they came through the Arc de Triomphe in France and really rubbed the French people's noses in their, uh, in their in fact they were superior and they were victorious. So we need to bear that in mind when we're looking at this Treaty of Versailles and its role in World War II. Now, we do know that the Germans felt aggrieved. They weren't involved in the negotiations. But we do know that the French, for example, wanted to go much further, and they wanted the treaty to be harsher than it actually was. But let's look at the facts. They had huge reparations to pay. They had lost land, which I think roughly had about a million people, which is an economic resource. It importantly had coal underneath the ground, which is useful both for powering your own industries, but also exporting It's a very valuable commodity and can bring a lot of income into the country. So they also had to reduce their military, which meant they had 2.9 million people who no longer had jobs. They had been previously employed in the military. So they had those people to find jobs for. And they also had to take this guilt clause now this guilt clause was a big issue for the germans because they didn't believe that they should be held solely responsible for world war 1 because they believe that many many parties were involved and therefore they had part of the responsibility but not all so certainly we can say that those things set the scene and the context for other things that were going on. But other things were going on because of things like economic downturns, which brought this extremism rising from the left and the right in various countries. So what I what you need to do in this essay is to think about those factors that I've talked about and what was really going on, a holistic view, what was happening in the world and how did the jigsaw fit together to result in that trigger point where Hitler finally thinks, I'm not going to listen to these people anymore, I'm actually going for it, and if war is declared, so be it, I'll fight on all fronts. So, that I hope will help you as you prepare for your essay. Um, give it a lot of thought. Don't um, go straight into to writing things. Give it some real thought as to how and why things occurred. OK, well, that's it from me. I hope that's been helpful and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.